so you can access the microphone. All right, good evening to you on the recording. We are um, uh, starting a two-part series tonight uh, entitled Listening Well or How to Read Your Bible. Uh, and we'll start with uh, what you consider in your heading. Um, I've put um, overarching aim. And the point here is just simply uh, before we get into the detail, more of the details, um, is to locate our reading uh, within the creator-creature relationship. Uh, as we um, go on to the second session next week, there'll be more uh, of the kind of how-to. But this week we'll cover quite a number of preliminary things. Um, and the first of those is looking at this overarching <clears throat> aim. Uh, what are we doing when we are reading the Bible? Um, and the first thing uh, we're doing is we're remembering uh, that this reading process happens within the relationship between the creator and the creature. That's us relating to God. Um, then at bullet point two, what happens uh, in the Bible um, and as we read it is God communicates to us who he is, his deeds and what his will is for us. And his deeds there, you see I've got past, present and future. And really I'm just kind of, um, I've got bullet points here on your notes and I've got bullet points um, in my notes partly because I want to move fairly quick, cover a whole bunch of ground, and I don't want to get bogged down into a um, huge amount of detail on each of them. But the point here, main point, is that God is communicating to us in Scripture. And then the second part of our reading is that we offer returns to him that are fitting and correspond to his communication to us. And you can see there it's a variety of things. It might be repentance, confession. It might be proclamation that he wants us to make, thanksgiving, praise, obedience, service, trust, compassion towards others, etc. Um, many of these returns will be directed towards other people, but they're still responses to God. So the point there is, God communicates to us, we respond to him rightly, and sometimes that response is horizontally to other people as well. And there's both an individual and a corporate element to that. That is locating what we're doing when we're reading the Bible. And I find it's just helpful to set that out at the beginning so that it doesn't become uh, simply a matter of um, technique, uh, so that we don't lose the big aim in why we would be reading the Bible in the first place. We're reading the Bible to know our God uh, and to live in a way that's pleasing to him. And then uh, for the final bullet point that I have there, in terms of the overarching aim, uh, that last bullet point um, gets to what a kind of 
a summary of what we're trying to do when we read any portion of scripture. We are trying to make sense of all the parts and the whole. We want, all, we want to understand the parts in relation to the whole and understand the whole in relation to the parts. We want that at a, at a phrase, uh, sorry, at a paragraph level, um, at a book level, at a canon level. Um, and what we're aiming for in that is the divine author's purpose with the words. And we'll get a little bit more about that. That, that will be unpacked um, as the session con continues. But make a note of that final bullet point in terms of that's what we're trying to do. So we locate it in the big purpose and we are aiming for the parts and the whole, the divine author's purpose with these words. All right, my second heading here is uh, the benefits of reading well. Um, and this is a, a short list of some of the reasons why it's worth giving our attention uh, to learning how to read the Bible well. One of them uh, is that God takes the wheel. When we learn to read better or listen better and follow the lead of God in the word, it means that God takes the wheel in communicating himself or whatever it is he wants to communicate to us, not the other way. We don't set the agenda, God sets the agenda. That's what, mean, that's what it means by God takes the wheel. And that means when God takes the wheel, God shows us the God who really is, not the God that we might fabricate, fabricate in our own imagination. Uh, when God takes the wheel, it also means that there is proportionality um, for our spirituality. And what I mean by that is... The Bible emphasises certain things more than it does others. Uh, in terms of the, the canon as a whole, uh, God has put more weight on certain things than he has on others. And when we follow his lead, it means that we put the right amount of weight on the right things. And that's really, that's really important because lots of false teaching uh, is about taking some truths and either blowing them out of proportion or putting them in the wrong place. Um, or there can be problems in terms of um, the Christian life, what it means to live the Christian life, and there's a big problem in proportionality there as well. Uh, an example of this from Scripture would be Jesus talking to the Pharisees and saying, you got the tithing of your spices right, but you missed the weightier matters of the law. And so there's a network of issues there, but that's just to illustrate that that is a thing in the Bible. Some things have more prominence than others. And when we follow God's lead in the hard work of working out the author's purpose, we end up with God setting the agenda and the right proportionality. Um, that also leads to proper burdens. And what I mean by that is, if we're not reading Scripture well, we can put burdens on ourselves that God has never placed upon us. 
and we can live with those burdens, <laughs> which really we have made for ourselves by bad reading. Um, when, we, when we follow uh, God's lead, we end up with the right burdens, and Jesus tells us that his uh, burden is light. Um, it also means when God takes the wheel that we are more open to correction because we're less inclined to be reading um, the scriptures uh, in line with what we would like to hear. We're aiming to, we're setting ourselves up to be confronted by a God who's different to us, who might think differently to us and say things that we might not necessarily agree with at first. Uh, it also means, by reading, the benefit of learning to read well is that we are trusting in promises that God has actually made. It's no good reading the Bible badly and uh, believing that God has said something when he hasn't said it. Uh, we set ourselves up for failure. But when we trust in promise that God has actually made, we can have confidence and as we walk out our lives in it, we see the fruit from it. Uh, it also guards us from false teaching. Uh, it gives us anchors for the storms. And what I mean by that there is uh, that having done the work and read rightly, I think it increases our confidence in being able to say, somebody might say to us a certain thing or a situation in our life might come and we can say, you know what? I know in the Bible where it says X. And I know why it says X. And I can and that and that word from God is an anchor for me in the storm now because I've seen it myself. I've seen it there. I know that that's what the book is doing. I know that that's what the text is doing, and that strengthens my faith for the storms of life. Um, and the last point here, the benefit of reading well, is that we seek growth the way that God has ordained growth. Uh, that means we, that this is another way of, it's, it's an element of the proper burdens, it's an element of uh, growing um, in, in the Christian life, and it actually is the place of power. So, they're just some of the benefits of reading well. Um, I'm now going to move through a few, um, yeah, I'm going to go through the next couple of points and then we'll pause for, have a bit of a discussion together. Right, <clears throat> so there's some preliminary um, things to, to say. Where I'm going to go now is uh, in your, on your handout. The next uh, headings are, are the God author, then you can see the human author, the human reader, and a book of words. That is the next unit. And what I'm doing there is I'm saying, I'm taking what the text of the Bible is, and I'm letting what it is shape our reading of it. And we'll now see what that means. So we know that the Bible is the Word of God, and we know that it's also a human book. So that's the God author and the human author. It's human, 100% human, and it's 100% divine. 
We also know that we ourselves are the readers. So there's the kind of objective text and there's us, the reader. Um, and, and we, the readers, what we know about ourselves and what scripture tells us about ourselves shapes how we read. Uh, and then also, because it's a book with words, it, it, uh, the very fact that it is made up of words shapes how we read it. So let's look at those things together. A few things that uh, follow from the fact that God is the author. Uh, one is that the scripture, um, our reading, is such that we are supposed to obey. And we want to have that readiness of posture when we come to the scriptures, that we are here being addressed by God the Creator, who has all authority. Now, the second feature or implication of God being the author um, is that because God is all-knowing and he's the author of the scriptures, it means that we are to submit and defer to what it says uh, rather than any other source of information. <clears throat> the scripture here has the final authority and so, and that rolls on from God knowing everything. It means that he hasn't got anything wrong. So we defer to what he says and we need to have that posture and readiness about ourselves. We know that God is good. Uh, so in our reading, we should be ready to trust and rejoice that God is a good God and has told us good things. God is truth, which means that the scriptures are unified and coherent. Uh, we shouldn't be looking, um, thinking that one part is, as the 39 articles say, repugnant to another. Um, we want all of the parts working with the whole. And that flows from the fact that God is truth and God is one and he's given us a unified and coherent message. Um, also, given that God is uh, speaking, it means that in terms of our posture, we are listening. And that means that uh, because it's God, we listen carefully. Uh, and the point I'm making here about listening is that sometimes the reason to bring the reason to mention it is because what is because of what it does to us when we um, approach a text. Uh, it can be the case that we come to a text and we're kind of trying to work out what's going on and we forget that we are being addressed in the Bible and that we are first re passive recipients in a sense. So there's a sense in which we are the, uh, the passive party in this exercise. We are also an active party uh, because we are doing the hard work of trying to work out what's here but we're also being addressed. And so we want to listen because good listening makes sure that we've heard properly what the other person has said. Now I'm just going to uh, skip over a couple here and bring out um, uh, a few points. Um, I, think we, I think that God is willing is an important aspect of our reading, that we should be expectant and ready when we come to the Bibles. Uh, come to our Bibles, we come with a posture of 
knowing that God is our Father and that God wants to make himself known to us. God is a willing God, and so we can come expectant and ready. God is a living God, and so we should expect a personal message as well. We can come with that posture. Of, um, this is a God who is alive. He knows my situation. He knows what I need to hear now. Um, and so I think we should expect a personal message. Um, you can think about those more yourself, or we can pick up on those. I'm going to move on and go to the fact that the Bible is a human text. Now, the fact that it's a human text means that there's a historical context, there's inescapable reality. The Bible was written at a certain time, uh, in a certain place, using certain language and concepts, uh, and that means that we have to do, uh, because it is a human text, it hasn't just fallen out of uh, heaven, uh, completely transcendent of um, culture, um, or written kind of a cult in an acultural way, it means that doing um, historic research of the historical context is helpful in understanding what's there. Um, another feature about the fact that it's a human text is that each author will have a, uh, I think this is the right phrase, uh, a conceptual milieu. Uh, and what I mean by that is... Sometimes you hear about people saying things like, they're very good, you know, a particular commentary it might say, such and so-and-so is good on the um, Greco-Roman background, uh, or such-and-such such is good on the um, uh, Jewish background. And I'm pretty sure what's meant by that is, for Paul writing in um, a Greco-Roman context, He's going to be using language that is uh, relevant for the day. He's going to be his, the 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 linguistic elements that he's going to be reaching for and grabbing are from his time, and that 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 time that he's grabbing them from is a Greco-Roman first-century time. Not only so. Because he's a Jew, he's going to be reaching up and grabbing all of the Old Testament scriptures, and that also is going to be part of his conceptual milieu. So he's going to be using language that's um, uh, drawn from the Old Testament scriptures. That's his conceptual. That's the conceptual milieu that an author is in. And that will help us when it comes to, well, all of the texts, but say, for example, you're reading some of the older um, uh, books in the Bible, they're going to be um, reaching for uh, an ancient Near Eastern uh, conceptual milieu, which sh will inform um, what they are saying. And then finally, the human author um, carries with them. I don't think that they are completely um, their personality is completely erased, and so we see elements of their personality and traits of their writing style uh, that comes through. You think of John, for example, and notice the overlaps in his concern for truth as just two examples in um, the Gospel of John and then also the three letters, 1, 2, and 3 John. Finally, oh no, sorry, the last two and then we'll pause, the human reader. Now, as readers, we don't come um, completely neutral. 
Uh, and so there are some certain things about us that we need to take into consideration as we um, consider ourselves as readers. One of them is something that God has told us uh, from the word, and that is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning <coughs> of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the point here is that the fear of the Lord is a moral issue. It's a posture of the heart. And so actually, as readers, our hearts play a significant factor in our understanding and our ability to read well. That point there could perhaps be um, stated more strongly uh, than I've put it. It's a very important factor. And I've put Isaiah 62 <coughs> there as well, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So the importance of our own hearts as we come to read. Secondly, we just recognise that we're finite, which means that we have limited knowledge, and it means that in our readings, we should not expect exhaustive knowledge of all things before we can move forward, or before we can apply or live or take something. Um, I think this, this fact corresponds to something about God, which we know, God knows how to communicate, so we can take courage. This is not a point to despair. But it's just to recognise our finitude. We have limited knowledge. Um, coupled with that is the last bullet point there is that space and time is a factor, which means that we have limited knowledge and we only acquire knowledge at a certain pace. So as we come to reading the Bible, there is simply no substitute for time. On the one hand, God can just show us wonderful things in his word, and oftentimes he does. But at the same time, you just can't get around the fact that in order to read the book of Isaiah, it's going to take time. So that is how um, it works as readers. We have to carve out the significant portions of time to simply read the Bible. Um, we are dependent as we come to read. We're completely dependent on God. We're reading a book. Uh, it's a spiritual book. God is spirit and we are wanting spiritual things to happen. We're not wanting purely natural things to happen and we are dependent on God's spirit for that to happen. And so we must pray when we read the Bible. That corresponds to the fact about God here, that God is sovereign. He's the one in control. And so we need to pray because we come to him asking him to speak. So prayer, with, with, our, with the posture of our hearts and with prayer, these are two very important, very high um, factors when it comes to good reading. Um, also, because of our weakness as people, I've put in here that I think that um, an undistracted space, that's just a fact of our, some of us will cope better, but I think finding an undistracted space to be able to take the time and to concentrate uh, is, is a good thing. Um, we should also recognise that we're culturally situated, which means that we have biases and we ask questions that won't necessarily be what the scripture is trying to address. Uh, we'll, have, uh, we'll come with assumptions and um, presuppositions that 
uh, won't be exactly as those that are in Scripture. And so we just need to be aware that that is the case um, and do our best to, um, uh, to try to consider what our biases might be. And I put here, and I've repeated that point uh, under the next bullet point, uh, because historical theology uh, can help us at that, at that point. We can look down through the barrel of history and see what other people have thought about this, um, and that helps us get out of our cultural um, water, as it were. Uh, next bullet point is the inward curve. And what I mean by that is our own bent towards finding what we want to find in the Bible. Now, there's a kind of lingering sinfulness there about us as people um, that we should be aware of in our reading. Uh, it might be that we... The, the, the text is telling us one thing, but we want it to say another thing, or we don't particularly want to submit to or change our lives in accordance with it, uh, and therefore we either minimise it, it's a question of proportionality, or um, we completely erase it. So we need to be aware of the ways in which, because of our sinfulness, we can be tempted to erase certain parts of Scripture. Uh, to combat that, we need to pray. We can look through history again, um, and we can be honest with ourselves before God. And then the last, uh, second, uh, sorry, yeah, this will be the last bullet point for now, is that we come needy. We, we need to come to Scripture uh, remembering that we as people are needy people. We live by God's word. And so with a hungry posture, once again, we pray. Um, and in my notes here, you'll see that I've put pray a number of times, and there's a point to that. Uh, it's coming up repeatedly and dotted throughout because I think that that is the posture of the prayer. Again, locating it in the wider context, it is about our relationship with God, and it is, um, and so we are praying and asking for God's help. Um, and then finally, for this little unit, before our questions, I'll, I'll try to fly through the fact that it's a book of words. And so just a few things here, and then we'll get, we can get into those a bit more later, and particularly next week, about what it means uh, that the Bible is a book of words. First bullet point. The thing about words is, words are always spoken to achieve a purpose. I found this to be such a helpful thing to discover. Words do something, even when it appears that they are just for information. I think I'm ready to say that words are never just for information. There's always an effect. There's always an aim. The words are always trying to do something. I think that's the right thing to say about Scripture. And that is, I think, what we're looking for. Not just, this is a nice bit of information. Why do we need that information? What are those words trying to do? What is God trying to do to us with those words? And what response is he wanting from us? And it can be simply praise. It can be simply wonder. He might just be showing us something, but he's showing us something for our good so that we can wonder at him. It might be prayer, thanksgiving, trust, or a variety of actions. Words do something, and so this is going to be a key feature of how we read well. We're looking for what is the purpose with these words. Um, and then let's just fly through. Words mean genre, so we have to take genre into account. 
Words mean grammar, so we have to think about grammar. Um, words mean context, because that's how words work. Um, we, can, um, we can rattle off lots of examples about how uh, about the importance of context. Um, I've, forgotten, I've forgotten this example that I used the other day, but I'm sure that you can think of your own examples of where words taken out of context um, uh, is, a, is a problem. Uh, also, words means um, semantics. Uh, that's meaning. We have to words uh, because it's words. In, uh, the Bible is written in words. We have to take the time to find out what words mean. Uh, we need to make sure that we know the meaning of words. Um, words also means means uh, translations. Uh, if, so if we don't have the original languages, it means that we're going to be dealing with translations. And so um, having a variety of translations is going to help us uh, in that process. Uh, this is all simply the fact that all these things, that they become necessary parts of our reading or our listening simply because the Bible is made up of words. Uh, and the last bullet point there is hard work, <laughs> which I think uh, is uh, is, an, is an effect of what of what it means. With all of these all of those features, we can see. All oh, right, there are things to think about, and it does involve hard work. Uh, that's from the human side. We're listening, and that's our posture. And God is the one who's speaking. So in one sense, He's kind of doing the work, and that's it. That's what happens as we come prayerfully to God uh, but at the same time he's given us the task uh, of listening well and there's a kind of active listening that's a way that I like to try to remember it for myself to remember those two halves so that I don't get when I say active listening it means that I don't get too hung up on um, on the hard work that I'm putting in and I remember that I'm passive and God is speaking uh, but by saying active listening, it reminds me that there is work to be done. I do need to wake up and read my Bible. I do need to make space and time to read it. Um, that's an action, an activity that I need to do. So, pause there. That's 30 minutes in. Well done for listening for 30 minutes. Let's do questions. So, anything you'd like to ask or talk about now before moving forward. Can I ask something? They, uh, they use two words here, listening mm -hmm. and reading. Yes. I'm just wondering if you feel there's a distinction between the two, if there's a tension, if they are in some measure different, mm -hmm. and what that might say. Um, mm. We listen. Mm -hmm. We've been listening to the last one. But then we read. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just, in my own mind, trying to see whether there are distinctions there or differences there. Um, what about people who can't read or people who don't read? Mm -hmm. My guess is that we would be saddened and even astonished to know how little the Bible is read anyway. If we come in my guess, that's certainly my experience. Um, but they're listening. So I 
think that's a helpful distinction, but I just wonder mm -hmm. if anyone had any thoughts on that so the reason I've used the two things here is um, is to capture that active and passive element. That's what I'm uh, primarily aiming for in the distinction. So the reason I've put listening well as the heading uh, rather than reading your Bible or how to read your Bible is to capture the, that dynamic of the fact that as we come to God's word, we are the ones who are being addressed. And so we are the ones who are listening. And, what, and, and I think listening... Just simply listening has got a bunch of good implications. When you listen to people, you want to make sure that you hear what they say. That, that's, what, that's what good, proper listening is. Um, when you're listening, you're the one being addressed. You're kind of, there's a passivity to that um, in listening. Uh, but then I see the kind of reading element is the, the work that we put in. We have to read it. So when it comes to, that's the distinction that I'm going for with the listening and reading. Um, but then I, uh, there is also the simple fact of reading versus listening, um, audio versus visual. Uh, and I think that in, uh, if, if both of those, on both of those fronts, uh, the kind of active and passive element can still be there. When we're listening, we can, the, 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 the cogs in our minds still need to be working. Recogn making recognition of what the person's saying, thinking about how it applies to us, um, making judgments about what they might be meaning uh, with their words and those types of things. So whether it's visual or audio, those are both at play. The only feature that would come with purely listening uh, would be that the scriptures have a... There are certain points, part of it's lost because of um, translation, but when it comes to things like uh, alliteration, um, uh, it's more relevant in poetry uh, or prophecy, the, the, kind, the, word, the very words that are being used, uh, the way that they will be heard will be part of the medium and the message will be communicated through that medium. And so, yeah, I think there is a small element there in which listening will, would be distinct... Um, distinguished from reading in terms of what we actually get um, but I think it, that will be a, a smaller element for, for us yeah. an example I'll give you one example in 1 Peter they've translated it I, quite, I think quite well um, uh, because they've chosen words um, but it doesn't quite work in English in the same way that it works in Greek, but it's close enough that you get the point, where it says um, there's an inheritance which is stored up for you, uh, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You see that kind of, there's a little bit of alliteration, there's a little bit of, is it called assonance? Um, they don't quite work because it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, but if there were three uns, that might be a little bit more Un, un, un. It kind of sticks with you. It has an emo there's a kind of emotive element to it when you read it. You, you know, it's a it's a, a pack of three. You get hit three times with these punchy uh, words, and and I think that's part of the purpose of those words is to lift our hearts to that imperishable, undefiled, and unfading 
kept in heaven for you. So that would be just an example where the audio matters. Yeah, um, um, I've written down here, what of non-exegetical insights? So, um, there's no reference, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's great all the, all the detail, but there's no mm -hmm. reference to obviously the key words, interpretation, or the mm -hmm. you know, hermeneutics, or exegesis, mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. deliberately you haven't put them in. But interpretation is is quite a big deal when it comes to reading the Bible, some mm -hmm. traditions say there is no interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's just what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. um, there's a danger with that approach, mm. and that's been used to justify all sorts of things, mm -hmm. you know, problems in South Africa and so forth. It's just what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. um, but wrongly, when someone doesn't acknowledge there's an element of interpretation mm -hmm. that's, going, that's going on, um, point about non-exegetical insights is we, I mean, you know, we all, we all know this, it's just, um, may I only, uh, may I only, um, will God only speak to me through a correct exegesis? Could God actually be speaking to me through something slightly more unusual mm -hmm. and that's where listening is not necessarily the same as reading the Bible because sometimes uh, yeah I mean something like was Peter, Peter on the roof his reading of the Bible that he had said no I'm clean mm -hmm. but listening meant kill and, you know, kill and eat but it was forcing him to rethink his whole way he read the Bible but if he'd just been stuck in you know, his own analysis of scripture, he might not have jumped to the conclusion of I, I ought to be able to, you know, eat everything now. Mm -hmm. um, but have you, have you ever had something, I mean, do you, have you ever had something that you, where you believe God was speaking to you, but actually in hindsight you admit that wasn't exactly, you know, in, mm -hmm. in the text. Mm -hmm. uh, not everyone would get that mm -hmm. same point from that, but I believe God was using that unusual that verse to say something mm -hmm. to me there are so many things in what you've just said uh, so many po um, uh, uh, you've said so much just now <laughs> okay that covers a lot of ground so um, and this one sounds like a question of how does God communicate is that right? On this front, because it's that I think that am I right in understanding that that's the distinction there? So does yeah, God communicate only through the exact author's purpose, um, or does he communicate? Yeah, do we do we accept through? Yeah, do we you know do we accept that God could speak through some perhaps an allegorical way mm -hmm. or something that that. You know, somebody reads something. Mm -hmm. I mean, my the, the day that I was born or christened or something, I think my parents came across that verse, you know, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, it had nothing to do with James Gregg. Mm -hmm. But they took courage from that and they believed that was God's word to them. Mm -hmm. That's not something 
that anyone with normal exegesis would say that that was particularly written to encourage parents of someone called James. Yes. Were they wrong to read the Bible that way? Mm-hmm. Um, were they listening? Or was that an example of how not to read the Bible? Was it an outside mm-hmm. rather than an inside? I land at this point um, on saying that I do think that God uh, speaks to us individually uh, in ways that are not uh, directly in line with what the scripture says. That particular text. The, um, every time that that is, um, uh, there are a number of qualifications then. Um, one of them is that that shouldn't be normative for how we read the Bible. So we shouldn't come to the text thinking, what might I get out of this? I think that our aim, in the sen- in a kind of what does this mean for me, I think there's m- much more risk involved, uh, I'll call it danger, in saying what does this mean for me. I think if, if, our, if, our, if our method or our default has tipped over to be that, if that's our internal dialogue, rather than what is God trying to say here, I think we've, our internal dialogue has, has faltered. Um, that's different from saying what is God trying to say here and how does it apply to me that's two different things Um, the one is that it's relevant for everybody and uh, and two will be how is that relevant for me specifically so there'll be scripture about um, I'll be reading about a list of vices or whatever and um, that Paul is saying, you know, to Timothy, flee from such things. And I'll be wanting to work out what are those vices that God is telling Timothy to flee from. They're relevant. I won't just throw in whatever ones I think might be appropriate vices. I want to be hearing what has he said. Then I want to be thinking, how does that, where am I in that? How, where am I in, how am I um, in the target here at all? What do I, which one do I need to hear, perhaps? Um, so I don't want to take away the personal element from it, um, but I don't think that that's normative. Secondly, um, anything that does come our way where we feel like God has spoken to us um, about something, you know, jumped out the page and like James, for example, a servant of Christ Jesus, I think we're all going to take something away from those texts. You know, there must be something more than simply... Um, uh, simply the words. They're doing something else. Um, uh, you might take courage from that text. What courage you're taking might be a truth that's affirmed in other parts of Scripture. Um, and so th- I think that that is actually where the weight lies. It's not on the fact that you might have felt that it was God speaking to you through those words. Um, and so this would go back to um, the sessions that we did on the Holy Spirit, if anybody's listening and interested, um, where I had, the, I had this kind of thing of working out how do we know when it is the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I think that we know that it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us through a range of different um, factors. Um, and one of those is it needs to accord with Scripture. So 
I would say, yes, I do think that it happens, uh, but I think that it needs to accord with Scripture. And I think that it happens even during the sermon. Um, so I guess the final thing I'd say to that is um, uh, that because we're not always, there's a kind of bluntness, there's a kind of imperfection to words and a, a slight inaccuracy to the sermon. So Dan and I will preach sermons and we'll do our best, uh, but there'll be times where actually our point will not have actually been the point of the sermon. So what we've said is not actually connected to the, <laughs> to the passage or it's more or less connected to it. We've said things, but I still think that God has, will be speaking to his people through that because he'll be taking all the information that they know There'll be questions whether it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and that will be, it will only be the Holy Spirit if it is in accord with truth. But that, they'll be taking all of those things that we know about God already, all the information that's gathered up, and the Holy Spirit is using that information to communicate to people. Just following on what you've said, James, um, it, it does seem to me teaching is clearly required. In the scriptures, Old Testament, and particularly the New Testament, um, the scriptures are called teaching, and that's where um, the whole raft of interpretation and exegesis comes in. We use commentaries and so on. We actually teach, we need teachers in our tradition, the Reformed tradition, because it's a very strong tradition. We have teachers. Um, that, that seems to be something that the scriptures do say, and that we do need. We don't just read it ourselves and say, well, that's what it says. We, we need people to teach us. And, and, and the scriptures say that. And I think the Protestant Church, although obviously the scriptures do speak as well about that, and we do take into experience as well, all the scriptures will come absolutely directly and helpfully in religious ways. But um, they need teachers too. <laughs> they want to be teachers. And our tradition is very strong on that. And, and that's a very helpful. I, I'm going to repeat it because I think it's worth reiterating. We, we need to work hard at working out what the text is saying. I think that's where it comes from. The reason I say that is because in my experience, even, if, even, even when I concede or say I do think that God speaks in, a, in ways where that's not what the text was saying but God spoke to the person anyway, and guided the person and led them into where they should be going. I, I suspect that we, we have a, um, there's something in us that feels like that's more exciting or maybe even better, or there's something about that that has kind of got an attractiveness to it. And I, I suspect that <coughs> we can err in that direction. And I think that's how um, prophecy can be elevated out of proportion because uh, it can feel as though Ah, it's a prophetic word and it's specific for me. That's the real, that's the real juice. When actually the Bible is, you know, Ephesians has been sitting there for a long time telling you things about God and how you should live and you've just not been trusting and obeying what's there. And I think that that's where we need to keep our minds and hearts because there's, I think there's a real risk if we, if we go to, if we, start searching for the other, we wander off. And before we know it, we've wandered so far away 
And I've seen it happen that people, they don't even know what their Bibles say. Um, and you end up being dependent on a range of things. With respect to a couple of other things that you mentioned, um, like about the importance of interpretation, or uh, you mentioned exegesis, there's a bunch of stuff in the second half here about, um, yeah, some kind of guardrails and various other features. Um, I think certainly if the scriptures need interpretation, it's always going to be the case. We have to interpret. The whole point of this is to, this whole thing yep. is, this is how to interpret rightly um, and how to do a right exegesis of a passage and the various things that are involved. Good. Should we keep going or... Yeah? A little bit more? Or are you, did you have something else? I've, I've heard of something called Lectio Divina. Again, in terms of, I mean, if the topic is listing on how to read your Bible, yeah. which talks about what's the interaction between the spontaneous or spontaneous way of believing that God might be coming through with something now, and you, and you read it like three times through, and the first time you wait here, something jumps out at you, mm -hmm. and then you're praying and you're meditating, mm -hmm. and then you read it through again. And it, mm -hmm. But that's a very different approach. It sounds more like monks, mm -hmm. well, the Latin name. It's a bit of a giveaway. Right. Yeah. But um, I mean, that's another translate example. Lectio, lectio, uh, translate the word for our listeners. Lectio, do you, I, don't, I don't know. It's spelled. It's, it's divine reading. Divine reading, yeah. Divine right. reading. Yeah, but that's different. My my natural approach is exegesis. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a lawyer. It's truth. It's it's chapter and verse. Mm -hmm. It's authorities. That's that's my natural way of doing it. It's mm -hmm. Gordon. You know, it's Fee and Stewart kind mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. it's worth. So I get intrigued when I hear about other ways in which people are reading mm -hmm. scripture. Mm -hmm. But I know this is this is one I've heard of. I tried it once, and sometimes you actually aren't doing it. I mean, you read it in home group and you ask people which of these, did anything stand out to you on this particular reading? Well, that's a, that's part of God is living, expect a personal message. Like, well, I can't help noticing that that bit, mm -hmm. I mean, it really, really spoke to me. I just never really thought of that before. Mm -hmm. But that's coming through a sort of, um, and it's, it's, I mean, it's a directly relevant question of how you read your Bible. Is, is, is that to be discouraged or is that you know, is that okay? And then see where that goes, but then obviously test the message against scripture. But it's trying to make it, I guess, more immediate mm -hmm. and not letting it become too dry. Mm -hmm. So I just wondered if, mm -hmm. in terms of ways to read the Bible, yeah. Lectio Divina is a way in which mm -hmm. some parts of the Christian tradition read the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's not obviously, you know, not my natural starting yeah. point. It's not, doesn't it naturally to be part of this, but there are different, there are more than one ways of reading it. Different ways of reading. Do you ever think as well that to a certain extent um, conversations like this overestimate what most people actually do? Because um, four, four years ago, my pastor said to me, We were having a whole conversation about theology, and he, he asked me, he said, uh, Andrew, well, he didn't really ask me, he told me, he said, Andrew, you don't read your Bible every day, do you? And I said, uh, uh, no, actually. And he said, oh, he said, I really think that you, you should read your Bible every single day. Um, and I went and still began following a Bible reading plan. And since then, I've been following that. Um, <clears throat> but one thing that I've been surprised by is that every year, I print out 
loads of copies of that Bible reading plan. Uh, it takes you to the Bible in the year. Mm-hmm. And I give that to lots of people, like lots of my friends and family and people like that. And um, I don't mean this in any way to sound self-aggrandizing or look how spiritual I am, but mm-hmm. I'm surprised by how people don't people don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I guess it'd be incredible if people mm-hmm. those people were able to do an opportunity mm-hmm. meter every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally agree. And I think if there's one point here at the start is, you know, if we would <laughs> how to read your Bible <laughs> is uh, by doing it. I think if I think I, I can't remember where I've got that point. I think it's in um, that's under method. That's my first point under method. Anything is better than nothing. And my point there was going to be um, if you're not doing any, if you're not actually reading your Bible, then this is this is all just a waste of time. Mm. You just you, we need to read our Bibles absolutely. With respect to the lectio uh, divina, uh, if that's if I pronounce that correctly, um, I've got that under method point two. Uh, there I have WSM method, um, which is, that's just, I'm copying Jonathan Penn- Pennington there. He calls it the what strikes me method. Um, uh, I think there's value in the what strikes me method, and so I've got it there under method. One of the problems with the what, one of the challenges, rather, let's call that a problem, with the what strikes me method, is you then said, after, after that, you said, you know, and then check it with the word. Now, there was a thing there. You see, which is an assumption in that, and I think that I think that um, it's right. We do need if we do the what strikes me method, we have to check it with the word. But how do you check it with the word if all you do is the what strikes me method? Um, so the two methods, as it were, work together, um, and I think our aim is in through the author. That's why at the start here, under my final point, parts and the whole. Ultimately, we're looking for how the parts and the whole will work together and the purpose of the divine, the divine author's purpose with those words. That's, I think, where we're aiming. And I think that's how words work, and I think that's the right reading. Um, but that does not rule out that kind of what strikes me and, as the things that I've mentioned, that sort of personal element um, but whereby we read the Bible. And I think that what's actually happening there is, is it's... When we do the what strikes me method correctly, or we do the lectio divina method correctly, what is actually happening is we're reading with a readiness, and what the Holy Spirit's doing is he's picking up on one bit that you need to hear. And I think that's what's happening with the... If I, I, can, I can testify to that experientially, that you read it and you think, gosh, I'm just really struck by those words, you know. Why am I struck by those words? I think the job then is to enjoy what's happened, but not to, not to fear, oh, that mo- um, uh, not to be afraid then, uh, and, and, and therefore not look for what the actual purpose of the words is, you know, and hope that, oh, if I find out that it means something different, you know, it's not going to be God. If you find out it's something different and it wasn't God and the Bible doesn't affirm that thing that you've been struck by, Great, don't, t- don't believe it and don't listen to it. We, we need to kind of have those checks in place. Um, so I think it, that's why I'm focusing on, on this other method, but including the what strikes me method. I think if, if lots of us read the Bible and did the what strikes me, we'd, we would end up with um, a good amount of biblical knowledge and I think a lot of it would come inductively 
as we kind of read more and more and more, the context would start to shape and hone and the Holy Spirit would work with that. I'm going to finish these last few points so that next week it can be purely method. I've got four minutes left before an hour is, is uh, wrapped up on there. So I'm going to do that in four minutes. I know that's very fast. Okay, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to say when we read the Bible, uh, this, the next points here are going to be biblical theology, systematics, apostles, and the gospel. That is a minute each. Now, what I mean by all of these is that when we're reading the Bible, any particular portion of Scripture, we run it through all of these systems. Or, another way to put it is, these are different perspectives that we need to look at that particular portion of Scripture from. Uh, so think about the Bible. I'm not going to get through this in four minutes, am I? We'll just pick it up next week. Uh, okay, so I've got that correct. You're reading a portion of Scripture, and you move around, and you first go... Biblical theology. What is the biblical theological perspective? And what I mean by that is the way that um, the Bible story is unfolding, the historical uh, through time dimension of uh, the story of redemption. And within that um, biblical theological dimension. So by biblical theology, I don't just mean theology that's derived from the Bible. I specifically mean looking at it from that um, perspective of, of watching the story unfold through time. And what happens through time is there are different covenant markers. And so you have to read the Bible um, according to its particular covenant. Um, that means reading... Uh, Samuel differently to reading uh, the book of James because they both come under a different covenant. Things have changed in terms of how God is relating to his people, what covenant they are in, and therefore how the words are functioning and what they mean. So reading things um, according to the covenant markers. Um, second point there is noticing the development of themes. So you're reading a particular part of scripture and you're thinking you're looking back through time and you're thinking where has this theme started how has it developed and changed so that now it means something slightly differently to what it meant in earlier references and what is the theme really meaning now and where is that theme going looking forward where is it going to go where is it going to What's going to happen to it when it arrives at Jesus and where does it go beyond into the new creation? So you're tracing themes and then locating where this particular passage that you're looking at, where is this, um, where are these, what's the story of these themes in the Bible? Um, then you have place in redemptive history. Uh, that's again similar to the covenant markers uh, and I won't pause on there. Right, eschatology in terms of biblical theology and that is just spotting that all the Old Testament is moving forward so when you're reading the Old Testament, um, you need to have that, um, eschatology is a big long word that means study of the end, and uh, what it means is the kind of the future, the end elements. So reading the Old Testament, you're thinking, where is this story going? Because all of the Old Testament is moving forward to that end. Then when it comes to the New Testament, uh, the New Testament itself has an already not yet substructure uh, um, which is a, an end times um, substructure to itself, which means that 
right underneath all of the writings in the New Testament is this um, uh, this fundamental shape of the kingdom having arrived and the kingdom not yet being consummated. Uh, the kingdom has come, but it hasn't yet been completed. And so the New Testament is written with this mentality in that the that the New Testament Bible writers are saying, we are in the end times, but the end times haven't completely come to the end. Uh, and that shapes then all of the readings. How is this book an end times book? And where is this book? It's locating you in redemptive history in the end times, but not the fully finished yet. That's a really important perspective to read the New Testament from and will yield many um, uh, many riches when you go back and read that. And perhaps even as an exercise, grab a New Testament epistle and read it from the perspective that the end has come, but the end is not yet completely finished, it has not fully arrived, and look at how that is this kind of substructure of the letter. Um, last point here is... Yeah, thinking again about eschatology and the way that the, store, the whole Bible is framed with Genesis and Revelation. And that's just recognising that the whole story um, fits in this kind of creation to new creation framework. And then we're thinking from when we're looking at our biblical theological perspective, how does this text, you've zoomed right out now, how does this text fit in that big story? Right, that's as far as we got. Blessings to you all. I'm going to say a prayer. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. Um, please help us uh, to uh, be good readers mm. of your word, uh, to have um, sensitive hearts that will listen to you and hear what you're saying to us. Um, help us to stay in the truth. Um, thank you that you've given us your word that is truth, and that we're not completely lost in the world. Help us, God, to hear what you have said to us, mm. to read it rightly, and to live it out. Um, we pray as well for ourselves that you would help us to actually read our Bibles. It's so easy to do other things, to put it down, to not have faith, God, to not think that you might speak to us, to not think of the benefit mm. that it will be to actually read our Bible. Um, but God, please help us to go to your word, because we know that that's where you've spoken, and you are our living God. And we pray that for everybody that does that and everybody who listens to this and ends up saying, yes, I might actually read my Bible now more, um, that when we do, meet us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. Amen. Amen.